1: buy it it goes up you think fantastic you go and pop the champagne the next day it goes down you have a sleepless night but without the sort of knowledge of what it's worth which gives you the idea of when to sell you you you're just approaching it blindly and it just becomes yeah you know, and then it goes down further and you say oh damn i should have sold six months ago when it was at its high point you don't know what the high point is day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello
2: and um, I am pleased to welcome back, he's been on the podcast a few times, Tony Kynaston from QAV Podcast. Hi Tony.
1: Hi Phil, how are you doing?
2: Good, good. So. Beautiful day today. The sun's finally out in Sydney after a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we don't want to time stamp this, oh, but yes, okay. it is. Right. It's been after the big deluge, hasn't it? Yeah. And, uh, the biblical deluge. The biblical, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we've got a few things that we've got some notes on that we're going to be talking about. But let's start off with uh, my table thumping discussion that we had the other night. Mm-hmm. And um, in a past podcast, you talked about the investing ladder and mm-hmm. the stages that you go through in learning about investing, which is a great lesson. But I think there's something that you need to do first, and that's to know yourself, Mm -hmm. know who you are and what you're going to get out of investing. Because so many people come to the podcast, and it was interesting at the dinner that we attended the other night to see that there were a couple of listeners uh, from my podcast who then ended up going to your Mm -hmm. podcast and your investing style Mm -hmm. because they're so obviously interested in learning about how to value companies and having a checklist that you can use to Uh, maintain a conviction. So on the point of knowing yourself, everyone should, when they're starting to think about investing, understand, are you that kind of investor that's going to want to know about Mm -hmm. shares and companies, and it's a long process to go through, Mm -hmm. or do you have better things to do, and should you just be looking at index ETFs and
1: sit back and do it for the long term? Correct. Over to you. Yeah, well, (laughs) look, I, I agree with you 100%, Phil. Uh, and as we were saying the other night, the the some of the best wealth management advisors will get people to do a risk profile, first of all, so that kind of will tell them a little bit about themselves in terms of are they risk averse or are they risk takers. That's part of the process. And then the markets and investing is a broad church, and mm-hmm. you don't have to follow my style, which is value investing. You could be a chartist or you could be a a technology-focused person or a sustainable-focused person. Um, but you're right. You've got to know that that's the kind of person you are. And we see it a little bit in our subscriber base. Sometimes we have people who start out and they they do get quite overwhelmed by numbers. They either haven't been... A user of Excel for a long time or, you know, some people are uh, more emotionally based than, than someone like myself. And, and they kind of, you know, struggle and they eventually fall by the wayside. And that's completely fine. And they'll, they'll find their own way. And as you say, whether it's an, in, as, as an index investor or whether they go off and do some other approach to the market, they're all completely valid and it's got to fit your style. So I think know thyself is good. And I also think, too, once you start down a path, understand what that means. So if you are someone who has a history of dipping their toe in and then going off and being distracted and taking up a new pastime or you know sport or whatever, that's the kind of person who probably isn't going to be suited to diligently watching their portfolio, listening to what's going on with the companies they're invested in and and actively managing their portfolio. And and we had a dinner of our listeners in Melbourne around Christmas time. And one of the listeners asked me, what's the number one thing we have to be um, aware of going forward in in what we're doing and investing? And I said, it's not the stock market. It's understanding you're committing to doing this for the rest of your life. You can't sort of do it for six months and learn My way of investing, and then decide, oh, that was fun, (laughs) and and, and buy buy your set up your portfolio, and then go off and you know surf or you know learn a language. You're interested, yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't do that. It's you've got to know up front. You are committing to this process every day of your life. It will get easier. Just like if you learn a language, you know, after a few years, you, you become fluent in that language. So it does become easier, but you have to commit up front to doing it all the time.
2: Mm, no it's interesting that isn't it and, and um, i think it's part of um I, I notice that when people join my facebook group some of them come in and they say the first thing they i ask the question um do you have any questions for the for the podcast and it's like what's a good stock to buy yeah and i think people think that there's some magic formula or that there's you know that they, the, the stock picks can be handed to you on a plate mm. but that's Even if someone gives you
1: the best company in the world to invest in, that's only the first part of it, isn't it? Oh, it is. And that's... Unfortunately, I think that's how our industry works, especially people who are doing podcasts and Facebook groups and and educational type services, newsletters or whatever. Uh, you know, they market themselves by trying to say, we tip these stocks and they all did well. You know, our top five picks doubled their money last financial year, that kind of stuff. And so people get conditioned almost to say, well, what's your pick? I want to compare it to the other guys or I want to, I, you know, I want to see, I want to kind of credential you. Uh, and for me, we do provide like a stock of the week and things like that, which is more about here's somewhere, here's a stock to go and investigate for yourself. Uh, but it's, we're trying to teach people how to fish, not, not give them a fish dinner every night. So that's, that's the difference. And, and like I said, if we, we generally find people who come to us and listen to us and engage with us are people who want to learn how, how to fish, not just get the, the current fish of the day served to them on a the plate
2: and And you, that does happen it doesn 't people understand oh, yeah. that, and they do respond to yeah, that and definitely yeah i 've seen that with some of your uh listeners
1: mm. yeah it's 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 been really amazing over the last couple of years. The feedback we get you know we get lots of listeners it's it's kind of a common theme back i mean it has different variations, but it 's basically you know I was blind in the dark, and now I see it's you know i tried I tried this thing, I tried that thing, I listened to this person, I read that book, I followed this tip sheet. It, it all went well for a while and it crashed or I got distracted or whatever. But now I'm the, uh, the scales are coming off my eyes. Thank you very much. I can now see there's a way forward for me to do this for myself. And without mentioning names, it's interesting that people who have had financial
2: advisors and charging large management fees for basically... <laughs> cash accounts exactly
1: yeah well that was the feedback at our last dinner wasn't it that one that's of our unbelievable yeah was being charged so uh, i think he said five percent to have half his portfolio in cash which <laughs> is earning one percent and inflation's eating into yeah. it as well <laughs> yeah. yeah that's just crazy uh, and, and you know that's again we've spoken about this before the education system has let people down i think when it comes to their finances Something, that, if if that's happening to you, you should be kind of aware of that straight away that that just doesn't add up. Now, I don't know the circumstance of of this particular investor. Maybe that's kind of been a slow drip process to get where they've gotten to. But yeah, we're just not taught how to watch out for ourselves financially. Um, And I think that's wrong. And
2: and we're not taught about um, what some of the terminology means Mm -hmm. and how there's young people who have got their money in their super and... There's these boxes that you check, and one of the boxes is the conservative box. (laughs) Yes. And they have no understanding what conservative actually means. They just think, oh, well, I'm a conservative person. I don't want to lose my money. I'll put my money in there. Yeah. Where, in
1: (laughs) fact, they're at a stage in their life where they should be in aggressive. Correct. Mm. Yeah. And, of course, conservative doesn't mean you won't lose your money. Mm. Yeah, In the GFC, everything went down, whether you were aggressive, whether you were growth, whether you were real estate, whether you were gold. Boom, it all fell through the floor so yeah that's the first thing to know but yeah it's it's um it's that kind of framing the argument around only a couple of options it, it's it's the kind of commoditizing or the or being a supermarket type approach to, to to selling the products that that they've got which i think is is letting people down yeah at the, most people I guess would encounter investing through their superannuation fund if they're if they're working and they would have those kinds of options are uh, you Do you want balance? Do you want growth? Do you want conservative or whatever? Um, They probably don't know what that means and they don't know what it means over the long term. Uh, uh, And as you say, if you're 20 years old and starting off work, you should be in the biggest growth fund you can find. Which, which oftentimes I must admit with superannuation funds is still not much more than the index because they're, they're putting in their other things like, um, office blocks and infrastructure, you know, infrastructure. Like, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. P- personal e- uh, private equity firms mm-hmm. and things like yeah, that. So yeah. they just put a bit more shares in the mix and maybe some overseas shares in the mix mm. and that kind of thing and, and charge you for that uh, having someone, a consultant coming in and telling you what the mix should be between all those things to maintain the growth type portfolio. So yeah, yeah there's a lot of, um, Hidden commissions in our industry, and and look, basic human nature. These these people uh, need to make money, and uh, that that means that you know that the human nature comes into play. And that if they're dealing with someone who doesn't know much, it almost works in their favour if they can complicate things, because then they have to be paid to translate them. So. Uh, you see it everywhere. I mean, it's not just in the financial services industry. Go and ask a doctor what idiopathic means. You know, if you walk into a doctor and say, Doctor, I've got a sore back, and they, they, you know, tap your knee and roll you over and tap on your kidneys and things like that. And after a while, they, they say, Okay, it's idiopathic. You think, oh, oh God, I better go home and change my diet and exercise more and stuff. Idiopathic means they don't know. (laughs) But they they feel they can't tell you they don't know (laughs) because then you can't charge a fee for it. That's right. You need those big Greek and Latin words (laughs) to to appear impressive, don't you? (laughs) And it's exactly the same thing in the finance industry. Yeah. So I'm all for education and simplifying the options for people which is why you know the investment ladder i think is appealing and low low cost index funds whether it's an etf i prefer listed investment companies but as long as the fees are low and it's tracking the index they're appealing to if you are the kind of person who has thought about investing but realizes I'm hands-off. I'm not going to commit for the rest of my life to do it. For whatever reason, you know, you might be caring for your old folks or whatever. Yeah, but uh, you just have to understand that
2: about yourself. You do, really, yeah. You, know? you just don't come in all starry-eyed going, oh, I'm going to make lots of money in the share market. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is, a, what's it called? The Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah that's right. Everyone's an above-average driver. <laughs> <laughs> So we're both podcasters,
2: and yeah. uh, quite, quite, both quite reasonably new podcasters, mm. and I, for one, have learned so much from my guests. I mean, I feel like I'm just channeling my the knowledge of my guests for the listeners, and I'm not an expert at all. Um, you're a bit more of an expert, but is there anything that you've learned from some of the guests that have been on the podcast?
1: Yeah, probably. Uh, well, we've learned we've a learnt lots from the guests, but probably more from just the experience, I think, Phil. I mean... Uh, I don't know, probably like you, I've kind of stumbled into this, you know, because I have a friend who's a podcaster and he said, why don't we do this? And it's, it's kind of clicked and there's a niche for it, which is really nice. I've really enjoyed, um I think I've discovered the fact that I enjoy coaching. And, and I remember, you know, coaching my daughter's basketball team. I, I really enjoy that a, a way of breaking down step by step what they have to do and then, you know, watching them go through it and just getting that feedback at the end, which is, you know, we've learned something and I are really pleased. That's that's a great, you know, I think that's a great vocation in life to do that. And I'm really enjoying it from that point of view. Mm-hmm. I think it's made me a better investor. It's really tightened up my process. I mean, I've been doing it for 30 years or so. And uh, I think some things are second nature to me now. But having to teach them to, to people on the podcast means I've got a really – document it, think about it, write it down, make it really clear. Whereas in the past, I probably just skimmed through it. So that's, I think that's makes me a better investor as well. That's, that's um, really helped me. I think just having, I call it the hive mind, all our listeners out there throwing questions at us, making suggestions and uh you know i often say like because we get lots of suggestions why don't you change the checklist to do this and i think roe is important why don't we put that in the checklist and all those kind of thing all valid comments all valid questions and i'd say to them put it in your checklist and let's compare results at the you know at the end of a period at the end of six months or a year or a couple of years and see see which one is is the better way of doing it and then let's just all amalgamate to that i think that's going to be a really powerful tool for uh, for our listening group going forward and and for me personally as well
2: and uh, we, we've got to talk about the fudge as the well. Fudge. <laughs> in the, no, but, but um, the, we do, that you, yeah. um, because you've got listeners yeah. who um, or, and people are using the checklist and they, they go through the checklist and then suddenly you break your own rule because yeah. you just know
1: something. You know, there's something you, that you intuit. Correct, yeah.
2: And um, I guess now you have to actually
1: document that intuition. Correct. So it is evolutionary from that point of view, yeah. So I do learn things along the way as well. Uh, And that's an interesting discussion I was having with my wife because I've employed my nephew. It's a bit of nepotism, but he's actually a really good math student and he's putting together some regression testing for us so when people do make suggestions, we can go back over 10, 15 years' worth of data and run their idea through and see if it improves the result, which is a really good thing. Uh, And we still haven't quite nutted out the algorithm to do that because there is a bit of intuition in there. So we can sort of write down the rules as they are now and run with that and get a result. And then next week I'll say to Dylan, my nephew, oh, we found out during the week that we should actually do this because, you know, I've been doing it um, intuitively and now we've got to incorporate it in. So, yeah, it's really helping that that documentation process is really sharpening things up.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...
2: Tony is a multi-millionaire professional investor. Thanks to the checklist system he's developed called QAV, quality at value, the average return on his portfolio over the last 20 years has been nearly 20% per annum. That's twice the return of the ASX 200. Tony's knowledge and calm analysis takes the guesswork out of share market investing. And best of all, it removes the trauma. Fast-track your investing knowledge. Use the coupon code SFB for a 20% discount on monthly or annual plans. That's at qavpodcast.com.au. This might be the best investment you'll ever make. That's qavpodcast.com.au. And use the coupon code SFB for that 20% discount. Value investing is a death cult. (laughs) (laughs) So you responded once I had a guest on who said that value investing... Is a death cult. Mm. And, and his his reason, you, I think you had to listen to the episode. I as did. Well. Yeah, it was good. And um, what he thought was that the king of the value investors, Warren Buffett, made most of his money out of Apple, which is a growth
1: stock. Oh, I think he's done that recently, but he's only been in Apple for a short time. So I'd have to disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, if you're a value investor, you're not shunning growth stocks. You want stocks to grow. And uh, you, you, the I guess the difference is that. A value investor has that well certainly I do have that has that other dimension of is the business a quality business i don 't just want to buy something because it 's cheap because it might close down next next week right because it 's cheap for a reason, but we want to buy those businesses which for some reason aren 't as expensive as they used to be, uh, and you know the classic case with with Warren was uh, amex uh, there was an olive oil scandal of all things which threatened to uh, was a, threatened to at least taint the, the brand image of Amex. And so the share price dropped dramatically. Uh, but, but Warren could see in his local restaurants and around, you know, town that people were still using Amex cards. So he thought, okay, the business is going to survive. This scandal is going to blow over. And, uh, I'm going to buy shares in Amex when it's at its lowest ebb. So is that a gross stock? Well, yeah, Amex did go on to grow. Um, same with Coca Cola, one of his other big holdings. He, he, Picked it at a low point, um, which was a bit of a different situation. He was doing some analysis on how much depreciation they are putting aside for plants and bottling and all that stuff and thought that it was too much and they'd be able to write it back into profit and all that kind of stuff. Very technical stuff, but same sort of idea. And, and Coke is kind of a gross stock as well. So there's not, you know, Munger says, Buffett's partner, uh, all investing is value investing. So when you say that, uh, Buffett buys growth stocks, he buys quality companies at a, at a good price and then waits for them to regress to the mean, which is value investing. But is value investing a death cult? No. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing about that the, the podcast, which I found interesting, is you're, you're, the person you're interviewing advocated finding a company that you thought would be worth 10 times what it is today In 10 years' time. He made it sound so simple, didn't he? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. How easy it would be to (laughs) do that. Yeah. yeah. And then put it in a tin box and bury it in the backyard. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that's the wrong thing to do, but it's a risky thing to do because uh, if you look at particularly the growth area of the market, most people won't just buy one stock, they'll buy a portfolio because they know that some are going to fall away and some are going to shoot the lights out. And that's that one that becomes a unicorn that pays for all the rest. So, you know, maybe I'd accept if he said put 10 stocks in the in the ground. That That's at least de-risking it a bit. But he used the example of, I think he used Match.com, which is a US stock which uh, is the parent company for all of the dating apps, or a lot of the dating apps that are out there. But I also remember when I lived in Canada, there was one called Ashley Madison, which was another similar sort of stock. And uh, a reporter found out through investigation that, Uh, Most, I think 80 or 90% of the females on Ashley Madison who were um, meant to be there to hook up with the men who were on the dating site were actually paid to be there to flirt with them and get more men involved. And there was something like 90 to 1 or 90% to 10% ratio of men to females. So when that got out, that really hurt Ashley Madison's stock. But then someone hacked the database and released the names of all these men who were on there. Of course, there were lots of married men and famous men and things like that on this site. Uh, which caused another drop in the share price, so you know if you if you bought that one and put it in the box in the yard, um, you'd be out of luck <laughs> mm.
2: with the, with these terms like um there's value there's growth there's growth at reasonable price uh, so many terms, and mm. um, do they actually mean anything
1: again, I think they obscure what's going on, yeah, and as you say, know yourself is is really important if you're the kind of person who um, has an eye to the future of society, and you can understand whatever Elon Musk says. And I must admit, I can't <laughs> always understand what he says. Then, sure, go and buy Tesla stocks if you if you have an idea of what the valuation will be in ten years. If you and that and that's considered to be the growth stock par excellence, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's that's mm. one of them. Yeah. Um, then, if you're a growth investor and that's the way you invest, then at least know that you're like that, and and try and put some. Science into it. Don't just follow blindly because someone's tipped it to you or because you like Elon Musk or whatever, because it is a one, it's a moonshot, it's one stock. Um, But like I said before, the market's a broad church. If that's how you are focused, that's great. But I think, you know, my sort of investment journey started off with that way of thinking, following tips. And I used to work for an oil company, so we go around and talk to the guys who. Working in the exploration sector and saying, give us a hot tip in the oil industry. And, you know, we'd do that and we'd lose our money and all that kind of stuff. So I came to what we'll call value investing, which, which to me is investing. It's not just value investing, it's, it's, like, <laughs> it's the it's basics what, of the nuts and bolts of it. it? It's yeah. what we do every day in our, yeah. in our life away from the share market, right? We don't, well, I don't go and buy um, a sofa because I think it's going to be, an art object in ten years' time, and 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 someone's trying to sell it to me for a million bucks now to try and cash in on the fact that it's going to be trendy. I go, I go and buy a functional sofa for it and shop around and get the best price for it. That's that's to me that's investing as well, um, or buying a car that way, or buying a house that way. I wouldn't go and pay up for a house because George Clooney used to live there and, and you know, it's been marketed at three times what the house next door is being marketed at, which is kind of what people do in the, the share market. They get carried away in the hype and hyperbole of it. So I don't, I don't tend to see things as value or growth. I just tend to see things as common sense or, or a punt, basically, in the share market.
2: Oh, even even with all the checklists that you've got and the, the amount of research it's still a punt at the at No the no end no of the I'm day. saying
1: doing the checklist is is investing oh, okay. the other yeah. stuff about whether yeah. Elon Musk is going to be worth ten times what he's worth today as a punt, really, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah. Because um, really you've got to have some
2: conviction because again it's in the know, know yourself and it when, is. Yeah. when you're going through the, the, the process
1: of Tesla stock going down. Mm. What's your conviction? Mm. Well that's that's the really good good example. you will i I found in the past when I invested in stocks like that, it was a very it was an emotional roller coaster. It's really taxing. Yep. you know you buy it, it goes up, you think fantastic, you go and pop the champagne. the next day it goes down, you have a sleepless night. without the sort of knowledge of what it's worth, which gives you the idea of when to sell. You, you, you're just approaching it blindly and it just becomes, you know, and then it goes down further and you say, Oh, damn, I should have sold six months ago when it was at its high point. You don't know what the high point is because you have got no idea of what it's worth. So, mm. um, whereas if you, we always talk about the coffee shop, the coffee shop example, or, or even a house like we're, like we're sitting in now. You don't get it valued every day, but you're not going to, if someone comes and knocks on your door and says, I'll give you um, $50,000 for your house, fill, you're going to say, thank you very much, no thank you. But if someone knocks on your door and says, I'm going to give you, th- you know, $10 million for your house, fill, you say, come on in, <laughs> you know, because yeah. you know what the house is worth. And that's the difference, I think, between a speculative investment and investing. I normally try and make these episodes as uh, timeless as possible, but I'll just timestamp
2: this for the the next question. We're on the 24th of March, 2021, Mm -hmm. and recently I've been reading stories about the rotation from growth to value, Mm -hmm. and it seems to me that you can see on the Australian share market as an example that some of the growth stocks, your afterpays and so forth, are dropping in value, and things like the banks Mm -hmm. are going up in value.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see things in terms of rotations between growth and value because, again, I just see them all Is that all... just a, n- a narrative that some journalist has made or... up <laughs> Well, there is, there is that. They've got mm-hmm. to sell newspapers, haven't they? Mm. And if you look at what the, the, the technical definition of growth and value is, S&P take the whole index, all stocks in the market, and they rank them by their price-to-earnings ratio, and those that are the, at the top of the list, like they have PEs of 100 or more, they're the gross stocks. And those at the bottom of the list, like the banks and BHP, etc. they're the value stocks. BHP might still be worth twice what its value is, but it's called a value stock. I'm not saying BHP is, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So they've done a very is simple the, Is analysis. that the simple metric, yeah. is it? Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so talking about growth and value in those terms is a is a broad broad brush mm. that's the first thing i think when people say there's a rotation between, to, from growth to value is what they're saying is there's a there's a um, perception that interest rates are going to rise and and it's no it's no secret that cheap money has fueled the the money that's flowed into the growth stocks the punt stocks and if that money is starting to dry up then they'll go down in value so the market casts a a nine month shadow on people trying to forecast out nine months and what interest rates might be doing in nine months time and therefore its effect on those stocks Uh, i think the banks i like the banks at the moment they're coming up on my checklist but not for the reason that there's a rotation from growth to value. It's it's because uh, they've been, they're at the bottom of their cycle and, and most things are cyclical. Uh, because of COVID-19, they were um, taking lots of provisions for people who are going to not be able to meet their mortgage repayments. Because of government stimulus, things haven't worked out that way. And so they're writing back those provisions, which is like a free hit to profit at the moment. And they actually benefit from rising interest rates. So it's more of an interest rate, thematic rather than a rotation from value to growth. It just so happens that the stocks with the high PEs are coming down and those with the low PEs are going up. Hmm. But, but it's a very simplified argument. And the, the ones with the high PEs aren't really making a lot of money. <laughs> Again, how do you value them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we've had people on our show, uh, especially in the early days when we were casting around a very wide net with people to talk to, and the question I kept saying to them was, Understand why you would invest in this company, whether it's Afterpay or um, any of the other sort of gross stocks, uh, but tell me what's it worth, and how do you know whether you're overpaying for it, and how do you know when to sell? And it was generally it was around uh, um, other things, other things outside the sort of. Evaluation of the company approach that most investors would use it was things like well you know when they've taken over the world then they'll start making money it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay so how much have you how much risk have you assigned the value into the valuation for the government yeah, you know, constraining them and putting more regulation around it. Oh, nothing, you know. And so, mm. but, so I don't mind if someone says, look, we've assigned a 10% chance that the share price will go down because of government regulation. We've assigned a 50% chance the share price won't go up because there's more competitors coming into the market, blah, blah, blah. And our model says it's this, it's worth this. Mm. But we never encountered anybody who invested in those kinds of companies that did that kind of investing, which I found quite strange. And we had an ASA webinar recently, which... Um, Um, one of our friends, Steve Mab, organized, which was really good. And they had some people in one particular professor who was talking about investing in the Teslas and the Ubers and all that kind of stuff. And I asked the question, how do you know if you're overpaying for that stock? And his answer was, well, you don't. Maybe you'll just get three times your investment back rather than five times your investment back. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought, maybe if I go to the casino, I'll triple, triple my money as well. But that just to me was a really strange answer for that kind of question. Yeah. You
2: mentioned interest rates. One of my first guests on the program mentioned uh, when I asked him the question, what's the biggest influence on uh, share prices that he can, from his experience, and he said interest
1: rates. Yes and no. I mean, I've been through a couple of interest rate cycles now. I started off investing when the first mortgage I took out on a house was at seventeen and a half percent, and there were still things to buy in the market. Admittedly, that was after the eighty-seven crash, and then we had the recession we had to have in the early nineties. But there were still plenty of things to buy in the share market. Like I said, banks were doing banks were you know, high flying in the in, in that kind of environment. So yes, you do you do as we do every six months, look at the results, make a checklist. Something will score well. Oftentimes, I find these days it's it, the industry. There's like a thematic going on, which is banks at the moment. Um, last year it was iron ore. Before that, it was airlines. Before that, it was gold. There's always kind of a thematic going on, um, but but I don't approach it from that macro point of view of interest rates. I've I've never had, except for things like when the the COVID was at its worst, and I was going to cash, or when GFC was at its worst, and I was sitting on more cash, which were both relatively short-term situations, I've always been fully invested. You can always find something to invest in, even if interest rates go up or down. And um, it's important to be sceptical, isn't it? And
2: um, because, as, we, as you say, we're talking about these themes, yeah, which are really narratives written by financial they're journalists. They're stories, and Phil. They're stories. And if you want to
1: read a story, go to a bookshop.
2: <laughs> Don't go to the share market. Yeah. If you, if you want a guarantee, go and buy a fridge from Harvey Norman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, but um, you've got to be careful and you've got to be constantly sceptical of these narratives because we're being fed these narratives all the time and it's mm. by journalists who are trying to sell papers or it's mm-hmm. analysts who are trying to sell stories to get people to invest Correct.
1: with them. Yeah.
2: And really, you can't believe anyone except yourself, can
1: you? Well, you can believe them, but you have to do the research and, and think about it. Do your own thinking, I think, is the, is the only way you can approach it. Um, not just in the financial markets, but in you know, politics and everything else that's out there. Do your own work and work out what, you, what you're going to trust and believe. in. but it's again, it's human nature. Like what I'm finding now is that you'll you'll open up a paper or an email subscription service or whatever, and you'll get an analyst will say, yes, the the there's a cycle, like there's a switch from growth to value. And then next week there'll be three analysts who say it, and then the week after it'll be five analysts because human nature says. If I go out and say, you're talking rubbish, and there is a, a switch from growth to value, they're going to remember me and then mark me down. So even if I disagree with them and I'm in business to sell things to people, I've got to go and agree with them because if it doesn't happen, everyone's in the same boat. You can't find somebody else to go to. You've got to keep dealing with them. So it's the same with, um, with uh, fund managers. They've got to have a certain amount in the index because... Uh, you know, if they if they don't, if they get beaten by the index, they they lose funds. So it's uh, I've
2: realised this week, and having met a couple of listeners who've gone from my podcast to your podcast mm-hmm. and to your investing style, I'm quite happy to be a gateway drug <laughs> yeah, <thank laughs> to you. the QAV We're podcast. Quite happy to have you too, <laughs> <laughs> and the QAV thing Just because quietly, yeah. again, this is the um, know yourself scenario. It is. Yeah, it's you come to this podcast, and uh, we talked to one listener the other night who has only just bought her first mm. companies, her first shares, four weeks ago. Mm. And she's full-on into it. She wants to learn about studying mm. these companies, wants to, to learn the QAV mm-hmm. checklist system, and that's great. And so I'm, I'm just really hoping that I can talk to people who are listening and say, okay, there's, there's ways you can go to learn and study and like learning a new language about finance or understand that you want to surf, or you want to play golf, Correct. or yes. you want to look after the kids. Or yeah. You've got parents to look after, and there's this other strategy, which is ETFs, mm-hmm. long-term investing. Mm-hmm. You know, just slowly chipping away and dollar-cost averaging over a Correct. period of time.
1: Correct. And and there's some, but there's still some things you have to know about that, as we talked about before. Hmm. Go for the low fee options. Don't don't get ripped off. Um, go for the simple options, like buy an index fund. Don't don't get sucked into buying a fund of funds, for example, where Uh, someone's marketing we'll give you overseas shares we'll give you european shares we'll give you emerging market shares all in the one fund but they're actually they are but they're charging a fee for that and of course after 10 years you'll realize "Hmm, hang on i've got the same as if i had to put money in an index fund and paid no fees or little fees Mm -hmm. it's it's there there are tips and traps i think even in the etf market in the index investing market
2: yeah, so read the, read the PDS, even though no one does. No, that's <laughs>
1: right. And the PDS aren't written well enough to tell you much about what's going
2: on anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's there. Everything, yeah. they will tell you what the fees are and people don't even no. look at them and notice and that fees do compound, like no. like interest compounds.
1: Oh, correct. Yeah, the fees yeah. are so important. And, and that's why, you know, my advice is always find something which is really simple. It hugs the index and you get charged very little either in management expense ratios or fees in an ETF or a managed fund um, if you're not prepared to do the work yourself and try and beat that. And I think like that's that's the other eye-opener for me and, and I think for our listeners and certainly the ones who've told us what their returns have been, um, which is only a short period. Most people have only been on, listening to us for a year or so. Uh, but, but they're beating the index, uh, which I think is a bit of an eye-opener in itself that it's it to me it's it's kind of a, a no-brainer. If you take out the bad investments you've got to be left with the good ones, but the index contains both. So you should be it should it shouldn't be rocket science to beat the index at least. It's it's probably a bit of rocket science to get really good returns, but just to beat the index on your own I don't think is is rocket science. I mean just look the index is dominated by 20 stocks, because it's a market cap. Yeah, there. it's the, the top
2: 20, really, It's the 80-20 it? rule, yeah, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you should be able to, just through living in this country, know th- what those stocks are. Their banks, their supermarkets, their um, BHP, etc. You should be able to form an opinion about those stocks even just through your daily life oh i prefer coles to woolworths or i i wouldn't bank with nab if you i shouldn't say names but yeah yeah. yeah, as an example i wouldn't (laughs) bank with that bank because you know they they screwed me over or something like that um and and so you should be able to pull out the rotten ones not saying any of those companies are rotten but Mm. you should be able to pull out the ones you don't want to invest in and the rest should do better than the index tony thank you very much for joining (laughs) me again (laughs) you're welcome phil it's always fun always enjoy coming over here Shares for Beginners is for information and
2: educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Sulos for music production with that special Greek Alicious flavour. Remember, music always flows even when the money won't. Planning for your next trip?